It's November 13th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the White House is blasting former President Donald Trump for his new plan to deport millions of illegal migrants. We'll talk about the five key elements of this plan with new details that were released over the weekend. Second, two American cities are reacting very differently to China this morning as President Xi of China comes to California this week. One city is embracing this Chinese president, the other city rejecting him and his Chinese businesses. I'll give you those pieces of news shortly. Third, an update for you on the war in the Middle East with some Palestinians now rising up against Hamas. Fourth, a crisis is brewing in Spain this morning, a very important U.S. trade partner. And the crisis comes down to this. The socialist government there just made a deal with traders. Details coming up. Later, a listener question today from actually a whole bunch of people who saw the report of the weekend about who allegedly blew up those Russian Nord Stream pipelines last fall. We have a new suspect. I'll tell you about him in about 30 minutes. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. The White House unleashed a tirade this weekend against former President Donald Trump over his new plans to deport millions of illegal migrants. Joe Biden's team called the new plans that were released on Saturday, quote, extreme, horrifying, racist and cruel, end quote. Well, that does sound terrible. So let's unpack what the White House was so upset about, highlighting the five key elements of this Trump plan, which promises to eject the four million illegals who have entered the United States under Joe Biden, plus some of the 22 million illegals that have come here in the years prior. So let's get started. First up, Trump officials said that they would deputize local police, sheriff's departments and other state law enforcement officials to begin arresting illegal migrants all around the country. They would start by targeting suspected cartel or gang members who can be deported immediately without due process. At least that's according to the Controversial Use of Aliens Enemies Act of the year 1798. Second, Trump's team said that he would authorize National Guardsmen to do these arrests if local or state law enforcement officials can't or won't. Now, normally, this would not be allowed under uh, U.S. federal law, but Trump officials argued that he can do so if he invokes something called the Insurrection Act of 1807. Indeed, Trump's lead uh, migration officer, a fellow named Stephen Miller, said that they might have to do this because liberal states like, say, California or New York, they might block the effort to, to use these local law enforcement officials. So, Other states, conservative states especially, and their National Guardsmen are probably going to have to be called up to do the task. Third in this Trump plan is this. Illegal migrants would be sent to some newly constructed detention camps, probably in Texas, that have close access to airports where the U.S. military will use its planes to start sending people home. And if Congress refuses to pay for the construction of these detention camps, Trump's team said that they would redirect billions of dollars in Pentagon funding to just make it happen. Fourth, U.S. visas and allowances for refugees would be restricted or outright canceled for many countries to include those uh, foreign students who were recently protesting in support of Hamas. On a related note, U.S. consular officers and U.S. embassies abroad who normally oversee these visa processes 
they would be directed to screen future visa applicants for any undesirable ideologies, including socialism or radical Salafi Islam. Fifth and finally, Mr. Trump would force or encourage nations in Central America to stop migrants as they are passing through on their way to America. Those would include nations like Panama, Guatemala, or Mexico. And if any migrants slip through, they can request asylum at our southern border, but they have to remain in Mexico for the duration of their applications. And if Mexico gets, say, too full of asylum seekers, Trump would fly these folks to other nations all around the world and pay those countries to host the asylum seekers for however long it takes. In other words, we might uh, get somebody on our southern border from Haiti trying to come in for asylum purposes. But, uh, well, if Mexico is full, we will send them off to Kazakhstan. If, of course, Kazakhstan agrees to take them in. Now, that might sound outlandish, but it is an idea that is similar to one that is being used and debated in the United Kingdom. Indeed, they are trying to send their asylum seekers to the African country of Rwanda, who has agreed to take these folks in, but for some pretty big cash. So those are the main five key elements of Mr. Trump's illegal migration plan, with Mr. Biden and Democrats calling it extreme and racist. Well, as you would expect, Trump officials disagree with that assessment. They say that this plan will restore law and order. Plus, they say it's pretty good for the U.S. economy. Quote, Mass deportation will be celebrated by American workers who will now be offered higher wages with better benefits to fill these jobs currently held by illegal migrants, end quote. Well, one final thing to note, the issue of deporting illegals with children, now that is a complicated issue. For instance, what should we do about the children who were born in the U.S. to parents who are here illegally? The Constitution seems to make it pretty clear that those kids are now U.S. citizens, whether you like that or not. But Trump's team actually disagrees. They plan to challenge that understanding all the way to the Supreme Court. So those are the facts and data related to the Trump plan, plus the reaction by the White House. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So on Friday, I mentioned that there was a listener, uh, Heidi from Utah, I believe, who asked, Brian, is it possible to deport millions of America's illegal migrants. And, and I said that, yes, it is, but we're gonna have to ask ourselves, uh, ourselves three questions. First, can it be done logistically? Second, can it be done legally? And third, can it be done politically? Well, this morning, I think that we have some more answers to this, at least based on the Trump plan. Yes, we can logistically do it, deport millions of people, although it would take great effort and probably it would take a number of years. Next, can we do it legally? Well, the answer seems to be yes here, too. Uh, Trump's team has all the laws lined up that they plan to use, including that Alien Enemies Act and that Insurrection Act. They're also planning, as we discussed, some legal pushes to the Supreme Court, challenging something that we didn't discuss called the Flores Settlement and this idea of birthright citizenship, where if you're born here, that makes you an automatic citizen. So here's my guess. Most of these legal arguments will survive the courts, but some won't. And that's what's causing panic amongst the left and Democrats this morning. The current Supreme Court is generally deferring in its recent cases. Well, they're they're deferring to the office of the presidency or the executive branch, most especially when it comes to national security matters. And that is, in fact, how this Trump plan is being legally framed. And that takes us to the third question, ladies and gentlemen. Can this be done politically? Well, I think that we would certainly see 
pretty big, if not massive, protests by leftists and Democrats as this plan started to take root. And I would also imagine that some companies would protest too, because there would likely be you know, increases of labor costs when trying to fill positions in migrant-heavy industries like, say, construction or agriculture. And to be fair, that's probably a reasonable concern, right? In other words, will unemployed or underemployed Americans work in these industries if the pay were, say, 30 or $45 an hour instead of the $15 an hour that, that migrants were getting? And more to the point, if more Americans do take these jobs because of the better pay, well, that probably means that you and I as consumers, we're going to have to pay more for consumer goods because of all those higher labor costs. So we should be asking ourselves, are we ready to pay more at the grocery store? Are we ready to pay more when we, uh, say, go to buy a newly uh, constructed house? That's what we need to start wrestling with. And those are fair questions and concerns, ladies and gentlemen. But ultimately, politically, that's what you get to decide. It is ultimately a political question decided by voters. Again, whether it's the right way forward or the wrong one, I'll leave that up to you. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. All this week, I will be doing one story a day about China. And that's because China's president, Xi, is coming to San Francisco this week to attend something called the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. So for today's China news, I've got two reports on two very different reactions to China from two American cities. So let's start with the first, out in Muscatine, Iowa. So back in 1985, the now president of China, Xi, was a very young communist official traveling to America for the very first time to learn more about food processing. Mr. Xi toured facilities in Iowa that were owned by Monsanto, Cargill, and Quaker Oats. Apparently, Mr. Xi was quite impressed by all of them. And here's something that you might not know. He stayed in the homes of locals there in Iowa. Well, in the four decades since then, he has kept in contact with some of the residents of that Iowa city, and they could not be more thrilled that he is coming back to the U.S. In fact, Mr. Xi has invited some of his old Iowa friends to a, a dinner in San Francisco, and they just think that he is lovely and that trade with China is important. So that is how people in Muscatine, Iowa are reacting. From there, we go to the lovely place that is Green Township, Michigan, where voters there are hmm, less impressed by Mr. Xi and his Communist Party. Last week, they tossed out five local officials from office because they supported a Chinese-backed factory that promised to produce batteries for electric vehicles. Those uh, local officials that were tossed out include the city's supervisor or mayor, plus the clerk, the treasurer, and two trustees, all of whom were Republicans, by the way, and all of whom supported the Chinese battery company that is called Goshen. Also voted out last week was the nearby supervisor or mayor of Big Rapids, Michigan. His name is Bill Stanick. He, too, supported the Goshen factory, and he, too, is now out of a job. Well, in response to these votes last week, Goshen representatives said that they are going to move ahead with this factory regardless. And also, state Democrats, they are calling these election results in Green Township and beyond a, quote, blip. But those, shall we say, dismissals aside, the new political leadership in at least Green Township, they are not deterred. The new town clerk, a woman named Corey Ribo, said, quote, we plan on making it as difficult as possible for Goshen to continue their process. They don't even have a site plant. They don't have any permits yet. So we are not going to be their friend, end quote. For what it's worth, Ms. Ribo has no political experience. She has never run for or held an office of any kind. 
But she was mad about communist influence in her little city, so she ran and won. So those are the facts and data this morning as President Xi of China makes his way to San Francisco with two very different reactions by your fellow Americans about both him and his communist nation. With that, let me pivot now and offer you my analysis and opinion. Well, to the folks of Green Township, Michigan, let me just say that I would love to shake your hands and and kiss you on the daggone cheeks because you are America. You tossed out some very corrupt politicians, all Republicans in this case, who put greed ahead of principle. Or if I could use a biblical analogy, you chased the money changers out of the temple. Right? You reclaimed your community based on your values, all so that the rest of us can reclaim our nation. And that's what it's all about. And that's why I talk about local politics being so darn important. Right? Corey Ribo got involved because she was fundamentally being poorly represented. So she stepped up. And now she is living up to the challenge that was issued over 200 years ago by Benjamin Franklin. Right? You've got a republic if you can keep it. So that's what she's trying to do. So all in all, three cheers to Miss Ribo and her friends. Second, ladies and gentlemen, what is also clear is that we still have a lot of work to do. The people of Muscatine, Iowa, who I'm sure are lovely, have been swept up in this propaganda and nostalgia of a communist leader who is now showering them with attention. But I promise you, he would force the people of Muscatine into concentration camps if he had the opportunity. In fact, he's already doing it to his own people, the weaker people in his country. So we've got some work to do. But what today's news shows us from these two different cities is that we can set people straight in Muscatine and beyond. And if we doubt that, we should give uh, the folks up in, in Michigan a call, Ms. Corey Ribo. She'll set you straight and inspire you to take action. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and we'll be right back. Well, fall is officially here, and that means it's time for jackets and sweaters and blankets too. And I'm getting all of mine from American Giant. Yeah, they make clothes and other textiles right here in America. None of that Chinese stuff. Folks, American Giant has it all. Hoodies, polos, jeans, jackets, and yes, blankets. All made in America and all top quality products. And I'm telling you, the moment that you touch this stuff, the second that you put it on, You just know that these products are top shelf. I've got a jacket and a hoodie, and they are amazing. And here's the best news, from my perspective anyway. American Giant is not just some company making stuff. It's seamsters and cutters and factory workers, your neighbors in towns and cities all across this country, who are reopening factories to make you products that you can be proud of. It's about purpose and people, ladies and gentlemen. So do what I've done. Join me in buying clothes from American Giant. And if you do, I'm going to save you a bunch of money, 20% off your first order. Holy cow. So here's how you do it. Go to American-Giant.com. Once you are there, you can choose from their many categories of awesome clothes and products. And when you check out, use promo code right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you're going to get that 20% off your first order. So what are you waiting for? Come on now. Let's fill up our wardrobes. Get your fall and winter clothes, ladies and gentlemen, right now at American-Giant.com. Just use that promo code right and get 20% off. So let's go to American-Giant.com and let's make America giant. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl into bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. 
Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I have their Lux model, and I bought it because I sleep hot, and that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top-notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their GhostBed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, go to ghostbed.com backslash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Folks, if you are in the market for insurance policies, whether that be life insurance or home auto disability, well, I want to tell you about a company and a website that I have discovered. It's called PolicyGenius.com. These guys help you find the most affordable insurance that is out there with partners like Nationwide, Prudential, and Travelers Insurance, all great companies. Now, I recently used Policy Genius to look at life insurance policies because, well, you never know, and I want to be prepared. And with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million in coverage. In fact, some of their insurance options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. And that is certainly good news. But you know what I think is the great news? Policy Genius is a time saver. Their website and the underlying technology that it uses makes it very easy to compare different insurance policies of all kinds, including life insurance, with just a few clicks of your mouse. In other words, you get the lowest price with the least amount of effort. So here's my bottom line. Our loved ones deserve a financial safety net, and we can give them that with things like life insurance. And you and I deserve a smarter way to find it and buy it. So head to policygenius.com and get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. We head first to the Middle East with a series of very important updates on the war in Israel. Israeli troops are fighting Hamas militants in close quarters this morning with battles erupting in and around one of Gaza's most important hospitals called Al-Shifa. Now, here's something that you might not know about that hospital. Back in the 1980s, U.S. taxpayers and Israeli architects redesigned that hospital as a humanitarian gesture, and that included building a below-ground floor, which has since been appropriated by Hamas. They use it to access their tunnels and their command center. And that is why Israel is surrounding that hospital this morning and trying to tap into and destroy the tunnel networks that feed into it. But the fighting has come with an absolutely terrible toll. The hospital has lost some of its electricity, with hospital staff saying that some patients, including babies in the NICU, have died. For what it's worth, Israel has apparently offered to pause operations and evacuate the babies in particular, but Hamas has declined. Meanwhile, thousands of Palestinians are taking refuge either in or around the hospital's compound, believing it to be safe, 
However, somebody is taking sniper shots at these people, especially as they're trying to flee to the south, as has been directed by the Israelis. Now, the culprit for this sniper fire is unknown at this hour, with both the Israelis and Hamas blaming each other. And and that is part of the reason for why the hospital has now shut its doors to new patients. Al-Shifa, along with another hospital called Al-Quds, says that it is just too dangerous to take more people in. Plus, there's not enough electricity or medicines for everybody. Now, to that end, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu confirmed yesterday that his country has offered to pause operations to deliver fuel necessary for the hospital. But here again, uh, Hamas apparently has allegedly declined. But the point is this. The Israelis will continue to target this hospital and the complex around it, trying to balance two very difficult missions. On one hand, they're trying to kill terrorists who are embedded in and below that hospital. And second, they're trying to protect civilians who are at that hospital and being used as human shields. If I could put some numbers to this challenge, as of yesterday, there were about 2,000 or so Palestinians that were known to be hunkered down at that hospital. There's also another 700 or so patients, plus the medical staff. So as that fight continues this morning, Israel is facing increasing international pressure to not only pause operations, but also to agree to a ceasefire. And that pressure is now coming from U.S. officials, too with U.S. Secretary of State saying late last week that, quote, far too many Palestinians have died, end quote. Well, as you'd guess, Arab and Muslim governments are in very much agreement with that assessment. In fact, dozens of Muslim and Arab leaders gathered on Saturday in Saudi Arabia to blast Israel and the United States for this war in Gaza. None of them blamed Hamas. In fact, most of them called these folks freedom fighters. There was one surprise guest, though, at this gathering in Saudi Arabia. It was the president of Iran. And here's why. Neither he nor any senior leader had been to Saudi Arabia in over 10 years, as those two nations are violently opposed to each other. But they put aside their differences to provide a a unified voice in favor of Hamas. Also in attendance was an interesting guy, the Syrian president, a fellow named Bashar al-Assad. He had been unwelcomed in much of the Arab world for years now because of the civil war and his nation, but that has changed, and he is now officially welcomed back into the fold. Indeed, he said uh, during this uh, conference on Saturday that Arab and Muslim nations should arm the Palestinian people and escalate this war regionally. Well, that idea did not get any traction, and so the weekend's gathering in Saudi Arabia had no real consequences, just a lot of jaw-flapping and outrage. And speaking of outrage, I've got this very important piece of news. The British media outlet called The Telegraph is reporting this morning that a small but increasing number of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip are dropping their support of Hamas. Here's why. As the people are running out of food and water, they are growing angrier and more desperate. And they're turning their rage and desperation not just towards Israel, but also Hamas. As The Telegraph is reporting, we now have multiple public examples of Gazans, say, jumping into a camera's view on Hamas-run TV and blaming Hamas and their leaders for the war. In other cases, Palestinians are targeting and killing Hamas police officers who are guarding, say, things like food and water and medicines, saying that it is they who should shoulder the blame for the suffering, not the people. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, Law and order is breaking down in the Gaza Strip, and Hamas is shouldering some of the anger. Indeed, as one aid worker put it, quote, Everywhere you go in Gaza, you see tension in the eyes of the people. You can tell that they are at a breaking point. 
end quote. One other thing to consider that might help explain why some Palestinians in Gaza are increasingly angry at Hamas, one of their terror leaders named Ghazi Hamad was recently interviewed on a Lebanese media outlet, and he was asked about Palestinian suffering and death, to which he said this, quote, Will we have a price to pay? Yes, and we are ready to pay it. We are called a nation of martyrs, and we are proud to sacrifice our martyrs, end quote. Although it appears this morning that the we that he was just suggesting there doesn't necessarily include all the people in Gaza. So those are the facts and data this morning from the war in the Middle East. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So folks, here's what's happening. The leaders of both Israel and Hamas are in a race for time. So Israel, for instance, they know that the longer that this operation continues, the more carnage and ugly that uh, the world will see the, of the operations, the videos and the pictures, those, those will all be broadcast into the world. And right or wrong, they are largely going to be blamed for that. And that means that the Israelis are going to have to be pushing very, very hard and very quickly to kill as many Hamas leaders as possible. But they know that at some point, they are going to lose critical support from their key backers in both Europe, but most especially in the United States. And that's because in the case of America, Joe Biden desperately needs the Hamas supporters in his Democrat party to win re-election for the presidency. In other words, he needs to secure states like Michigan. And of course, Israel knows that. So they are going to push as hard and as fast as they can until Biden eventually pulls the plug to satiate his Hamas supporters. Meanwhile, the leaders of Hamas, they know too that they are in a race for time. They are being decimated, not just rank and file militants, but also key leaders. So they are trying to hunker down in those tunnels and hold on for dear life, literally. This is a race for them, but just to survive. And their hope is that if they survive for long enough, and the fight goes on for long enough. The more that all this death and destruction is seen around the world, well, that pain and outrage will prompt Arab and Muslim nations all around the globe to get involved, to start a regional war, and finally, to destroy Israel and the Jews in the Holy Land. So the question is this, who's going to run out of time first before their objectives are achieved? The simple answer is, I don't know, but that is what I'm watching for. Meanwhile, I should also note this, it is conceivable that we see sort of a stalemate with Israel continuing its operations, but without allies for some period of time. And then as they do, Hamas, well, they're stuck like a bunch of moles underground waiting for Arab and Muslim nations to help them. But instead, they just sort of huff and puff. They don't rush in to save them. So those, I think, are the scenarios that I see, those three. But no matter what, we are almost certain to see a whole bunch of more carnage and destruction. There are just too many competing agendas that either want the war to continue or they just cannot yet afford to sue for peace. More to come. Finally, this morning, we are off to the country of Spain, where the socialist prime minister there just made a political deal that is, frankly, tearing that country apart. But before we dive into the details, let's talk about why we should care about this country. So we export around $16 billion in goods to that country each year from oil and gas products, to pharmaceuticals, to even ag products and machinery. So that trade touches states like Louisiana, Texas, Illinois, California, and others. In other words, what happens there in Spain can impact many of us here, even if we don't imagine that that could possibly be true. So with that, 
Let's talk about what's happening in Spain. And you might want to grab a map. The socialist government in Madrid, led by a man named Pedro Sanchez, has just agreed to form a new government with a coalition of parties, including one that wants to break away from Spain and form a new country. In other words, this guy is forming a government with people who want to destroy the government in the nation. Right? So these insurrectionists, they live in an area called Catalonia. Right? It sits on the Mediterranean Sea just south of France. It's one of the many areas of Spain that has its own rich history and culture and, and even language. Under the Spanish Constitution, regions like Catalonia are allowed to have special local powers, but they are not allowed to be independent. They are an integral part of Spain. But these insurrectionists and their treasonous party, they have long dreamed of independence. In fact, they tried to break away via a referendum back in 2017 and years prior. But in 2017, the Spanish government responded to that referendum by cracking down on these separatists, and many of them fled the country. That history takes us to today. The socialist prime minister of Spain, again, a Marxist named Pedro Sanchez, he has just agreed to an amnesty deal with these insurgents to form a government. Now, details are limited about this amnesty. It's a, a four-page agreement of pretty general promises, but it does include this. The insurrectionists will be able to hold another referendum on whether or not they can break away from Spain and form their own country. Well, as you would guess, that is leading to an outburst of anger in Spain from not only the traditional conservative opponents of Mr. Sanchez, but also constitutional scholars and members of the Spanish judiciary, including Mr. Sanchez's leftist supporters. To the point, hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets over the weekend in Spain, outraged at what they say was a political deal with the devil. One conservative party uh, called Vox, they are calling on the Spanish people to engage in, quote, resistance. Yes, to defy the socialist government by, well, it's not clear what means might be necessary, but possibly violent. And that is why French media outlets and others in Spain and Europe are saying that this could result in one of the worst political crises in modern Spanish history. The point, folks, is that a very important trade partner of ours is at risk of serious turmoil, even violence this morning, as their socialist prime minister tries to cling to power by collaborating with, well, some traitors, as at least judged by protests of conservative Spaniards and liberals alike. No analysis or opinion to give you this morning. Instead, let's just put this on our radars and watch how this fight in Europe plays out. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a listener question today sent to us from a bunch of paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Over the weekend, we got a new report about a mystery, a whodunit in Europe about who exactly blew up those four very important natural gas pipelines in the Baltic Sea called Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Now, to refresh our memories on this, somebody blew up four Russian-owned pipelines one year ago from this fall. The explosions seriously damaged three of the four pipelines, leaving one largely intact. Now, nobody took credit for it then or now. But the likely suspects and their motivations have been three. First up, the United States. And that's because Joe Biden said in February of last year at a press conference that, quote, if Russia invades Ukraine, there will no longer be a Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to it, end quote. When he was then challenged on how we would do that exactly, a reporter was asking him that question. He smirked in response, smiled and said, quote, I promise you, we will be able to to do that, end quote. All right, that takes us to suspect number two, Ukraine. And their motivation was twofold. First of all, to punch Russia in the face for invading their country, and that's fair. But also because the Nord Stream pipelines were competition. You see that there's another set of pipelines running through Ukraine on their way to Europe, and Kiev gets something called transit fees, right? That leads to about a billion dollars every year for Kiev. So the motivation here is pretty straightforward. You know, punch Russia in the face, but also blow up the competition and keep collecting that transit cash. All right, the third and final suspect was Russia itself. And this one, frankly, never made a lot of sense, but the general argument went like this. Putin was angry at Europe for how they responded to his invasion of Ukraine, so he blew up his toys, in other words, his billion dollars of pipelines and stomped off like a kid. Well, over the weekend, we got some more reporting on who the likely culprit is here, and it is Ukraine. The Washington Post and Germany's media outlet called Der Spiegel, they are both reporting that a team of Kiev's most senior intel and special operations officers put together this operation to blow up the Nord Stream pipelines for the motivations that I mentioned. But it was a very compartmented operation, hidden, in other words, off the books, from almost everybody, to include President Volodymyr Zelensky. Now, apparently, one of the alleged ringleaders of this operation is a guy named Roman Chervinsky. He is a decorated 48-year-old colonel who served in Ukraine Special Forces, and he has very close ties to the Ukrainian Intel Service. Allegedly, he was the lead operations coordinator of the destruction of these Nord Stream pipelines. And it was he, along with six other Ukrainian special operators, who rented a boat and took a dive team to the pipelines and planted the explosives. Although I should be very clear here, Mr. Chervinsky apparently got permission and direction for this sabotage operation from, as you would imagine, more senior military officials to include Ukraine's top general, a fellow named Valery Zaluzhny. But here's a twist. 
this uh, Chervinsky fellow, he is now under arrest, but for another alleged crime. Zelensky is accusing him of conducting other off-the-books operations when he didn't have permission. Well, Chervinsky says that this is all just a big lie, that he did everything at the direction of either Ukrainian politicians or military leaders. And in fact, he says, quote, I have devoted my entire life to the defense of Ukraine, and the allegations against me are groundless and far-fetched, which I will definitely prove in court. Well, he's not going to get that opportunity if he keeps talking. Just ask Jeffrey Epstein. And that takes me to my analysis and opinion. So I would love nothing more than to look at CIA's records about what relationships they had with either Chervinsky or those operators that were involved in this, because I suspect that there's something there. I think there were probably relationships of some kind. And I say that in part because we know that the CIA is training Ukraine's intel operators to conduct both intel and sabotage operations. That has been publicly known for a while now. Paid subscribers can read all about that and, well, that clandestine training and the transcript. But I'll tell you, if it is true that Biden uh, secretly ordered the CIA or its Ukrainian agents to blow up the Nord Stream pipelines, well, do not expect that Mr. Biden or anybody in the U.S. intel community is going to fess up. And the reason's pretty straightforward. Admitting our role in that would almost certainly mean a massive series of court battles as people sue the U.S. government and you, taxpayers, for damages. It would also be incredibly embarrassing that we blew up a very critical piece of European infrastructure. And that is why, if I may, if Mr. Chervinsky knows what's good for him, he might want to keep quiet. Otherwise, the uh, world's powerful will give him the old Jeffrey Epstein treatment. That's not a prediction by the way, just a friendly recommendation. Folks, if you would like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, it's so daggone easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up, and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave me a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.